0: Cinema Sit-Down, Episode 224, a review of Hard Eight. Hosted by Ryan Bull, Richard Lusk, and Tony Crist. January 10th,
1: 2020. The following podcast has been approved for all audiences by Flying Bull Productions. The best part of any film is the sit down afterwards. Richard Lusk and Ryan Bull bring you Cinema Sit-Down.
0: Welcome to Cinema Sit-Down. I'm one of three hosts. My name is Ryan Bull. Joining me across the table is Richard Lusk. How are you doing?
2: Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year to you, too. We are here in 2020. Uh, Also at the table is... uh, our newest host, uh, just last year, he became a permanent member of Cinema Sit-Down. How are you doing, Tony?
3: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm wonderful. Do- I'm great.
0: happy I have survived the holidays. Yeah, it's a good time. Get some good loot. Survive your family. Good loot. And now we get to watch this Paul Thomas Anderson film that is uh, very non-Christmas.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's got familyness and togetherness
0: yeah um uh lust this was your pick for a hidden gem a a film to recommend to our audience uh do you want to introduce
2: it sure when you mentioned that you uh want to do some podcasts over uh you know courses or movies that we sort of sort of touched us that people might not know about or that were you know maybe for whatever reason were personal to you i chose this movie because uh it was Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie, and it reminded me of how much, you know, uh, of a genius he is, and it sort of was a palate cleanse from a inherent vice, you know. Uh, then Phantom Thread, of course, he came out with recently. I guess that's his most recent movie, and, and that was exceptional. And then this is sort of in that vein, although not the same type of movie because it's more of a. I guess you would call it neo noir maybe crime thriller sort of thing.
0: Yeah, so, something there. I was trying to figure out how to classify this.
2: But really, I mean it it's it's a movie about relationships, I think. So uh, I think well, Paul Thomas Anderson famously has a lot of uh similar tropes running through his movie or themes or common themes and and then this one sort of touches on the whole idea of you know father the father-son relationship which is a key element of his career and sort of some of the things I'm thinking about now as a, as an older man with an elderly father and there are just some, some interesting things. And then I hadn't seen the movie in about 10 years came out in 1996 and I'm kind of of the mind that, um, well, I probably saw it in 2008 or so when I first saw it. Um, But I'm of the mind that every time you watch a movie, every seven years or so you have a different experience with it and you identify with different characters. So the first time I saw this movie, I probably identified more with the, uh, with the John C. Riley character than I did with the Philip Baker Hall character, who is sort of the, um, this is sort of a starring vehicle for him as an older elderly actor. And I'm, I'm a lot closer in age to Sydney now than I was, you know, when I first saw the movie. So it's interesting to see you know I tell my students that you never you can never stand in the same river twice because the water's constantly flowing underneath you, and things are changing, and that's kind of how I wanted to look at this movie and why I wanted to look at this movie and think about this movie um basically, it's a story about a young man who is down on his luck and he the young man played by uh John C riley and somehow he he meets up with um, Philip Baker Hall, this guy named Sidney. Uh, originally, the movie was called Sidney, and then they changed it to Hard Eight for a variety of reasons. But I think the title of Sidney is important as a, you know, sort of is a character study of this, of this guy who takes a young man under his wing and uh, tries to teach him the, the ropes of becoming, you know, making it through the world in a world where John C. Reilly is sort of lost. What is John C. Riley's character's name? I should probably have this written down somewhere. John.
0: John Finnegan. Uh, yeah. Finnegan. Okay.
2: And uh, yeah, there's a couple of different relationships, and it just uh, it prefigures another favorite movie of mine, which I'll talk about when we get to it. And um, yeah, that's why I picked it.
0: Yeah, I like the pick. Uh, this was the only Paul Thomas Anderson film I'd never seen before. Uh, I'd, I'd always meant to go back and watch it. So. It was interesting as this film's playing out, I'm like, huh, all of these actors are you know, pretty famous, all terrific people. This is fairly early in their careers. Uh, this was one of the earliest starring vehicles for John C. Riley. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was a year or two away from really blowing up as a star. Samuel L. Jackson, while he had been in a lot of stuff, he really wasn't that well-known. Philip Seymour Hoffman shows up for five minutes in this. And, and I guess watching it, I was like, would I have known at the time, if I had seen this in 1996, that these people were all going to have huge careers? Would I realize that, you know, this director was going to go on to do big things?
2: I don't know. Well, yeah, uh, maybe it was before uh, Boogie Nights. I mean, it was not even a, it was a, this is, yeah. Not this is not a typical, you know, premiere first run movie that people would point to and say, oh my God, this this thing made his career. I don't think although it kind of did in a way, but it's not the knockout performance of some other movies.
3: No, I think this is one, but for any of the guys in the movie, any of the actors or even the uh, director, that after you've seen him with some big hits, you go back and follow through and say, oh, that's what he was also in this, he was also in that. I think that's where this type of movie fits in really well. You know?
0: Yeah, but uh, I don't know, I'm don't. i not explaining myself well. There, there have been times on this show where we've watched a film and been like, holy crud, this director, this actor, they're going to blow up. They're going to be huge.
3: Yeah, you said about the girl and the new true grit. Yeah. Oh, and we're right. Haley
0: Steinfeld has had a huge career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she's gotten real popular. Um, uh, uh, Z. Craig Zoller, uh, the director from uh, Bone Tomahawk. Right. Who, uh, his career's going up, and um, I'm forgetting the director of Blue Ruin. uh he's gone on and done a bunch of
2: stuff. Yeah. So he did green room and I can't remember. uh, He he just did a, he he did true
0: detective. Uh, He did. He was the director of season three of true detective. So I'm, I do feel like we're pretty good at spotting talent. This film. I was like, I don't know. I also feel like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's trying to do a little like um, of mice and men type thing here. Mm. Um, That was the thing I kept thinking about uh, of mice and men famously, uh, was John Steinbeck trying to do something between a novel and a play? And, yeah. And trying to bridge the gap. And watching this, I was like, could you have done this as a play? Did this start off as a play that Paul Thomas Anderson wrote and just went, oh, it's got more legs if I do it as a film?
3: It felt very much like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross to me type of yeah. thing where you had this, like, uh, you know, we've had, like, the set where, you know, they're in the casino bar, you know, they're not as spoilers or anything, but, like, when they meet Samuel L. Jackson. And they're at that table for, you know, probably 15, 20 minutes. So you can tell, that like, if this was a play, it's a very easy play to do in terms of set design. You know, they're in the hotel room, they're in the restaurant, they're in a diner, they're in a casino. Well, that
2: probably it's something to do with the budget, but... Well,
3: yeah, but I think that helps when you make it, if you're talking about doing it as a play, you can obviously see this being a play. they didn't do a lot of cuts where, you know, everything's from the audience point of view, you're looking onto the stage.
2: Apparently it was a character study that was written by Paul Thomas Anderson about the character Sydney Yeah. with that character uh, Philip Baker Hall in mind, and he's playing a version of the same character in the movie Midnight Run, which is a favorite movie of yours.
3: Yeah, I love uh, Midnight Run.
2: Yeah, apparently it was, it was inspired by the character that he played in that movie that um, Sydney yeah. played in that uh, 1998 movie. So he was writing this um, – at a relatively early age, I think, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson made a movie called uh, coffee and cigarettes. That was the same basic storyline, but it changed around a few of the, the plot elements. And it went out as a short film. I think that's how he got funding for this. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but when the studio got a hold of Hard eight, they changed the movie from Sydney to Hard eight. And they made some other changes to it as well that he wasn't very fond of. And so it was, uh, sort of I, I don't know if he ever calls it Hard Eight when he talks about it. Phil, um uh Paul Thomas Anderson, sorry. Right. I don't know if Paul Thomas Anderson ever talks about it as hard mm-hmm. eight because I think he was invested in it being a movie about an old man like that. Which it's just it's difficult for me to imagine how a eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old guy can come up with a version of a character that's so believable
1: yeah. and
2: nuanced as this character Sidney was. I mean, there's so many levels and layers to him and I couldn't, like, I, I, I can't imagine being that adept at the, I don't know, human psyche to be able to, to create a character like that.
3: Well, yeah, because it kind of, you know, we can talk about that coffee and cigarettes and even, you know, if he did, I think a short version of Sydney um, as like a college project, you know, like your, as your thesis, you know, before you graduate thing. You know, I, I you know going back whatever to when I graduated college, it's like I wouldn't have the depth to do this. I, I, my movies would be more along the line of like a Jackass or like a Adam Sandler <laughs> or Adam Sandler type movie where it's just all you know crude humor type stuff. You know, not to have this deep consciousness of oh, you know, this guy. You know, I don't know how far we can go into it, but he, you know, Sidney does have a past with John C. Riley that John C. Riley doesn't know about. You know, right? Not, not until Samuel L. Jackson's character Jimmy brings it up and whether it's true or, you know, I don't think Sydney ever confirms it but, you know, he does confront Jimmy about it later at the end um, or, you know, one part in the movie so it's like there is some truth to it even though Sidney Oh, doesn't.
2: yeah, I mean, it's confirmed.
3: Well, well yeah, I, mean, the, I, I, know, I know that but I don't know if that's like, you know, is that just as the whole point with Sidney's a former mob hitman who, uh, you know, kills people obviously but you never, you don't know that going into, you know, in the movie uh, until Jimmy brings it up.
2: Right, there's then, that reveal
3: right and then then from there it's like and, but it, it's this is where phil baker hall is so good is that he he you know, he what is 96 like i've never seen him look i've never seen him as a young man he's always phil baker hall right you know he's always got that he was in you know seinfeld as a he was a, a fine collector for the library in an episode he was in an episode of psych where uh he was the father-in-law of the lead detective ex-father-in-law of the lead detective he's the uh Memory Wiper, the fixer for the Incredibles movie, and the caricature of him in the Incredibles looks just like Philip Baker Hall. There's no denying it. So he's just a guy that's looked like a old schlubby, a guy you could tell has had a past, but he doesn't want to talk about it.
2: Well, he's an archetypal throwback to yeah. the sort of gangster.
3: He's a quick he's a talking.
2: Bogart. I like think Bo- even could he. I mean, you, yeah, you could see him in an episode of uh, Dragnet or something right. like that, and he would always be the same.
3: You know, kind he, of guy, he, Yeah, you know, He's like he could be a new Sam Spade type of character from uh, like the Multis Falcon type of a thing. Um, whether end up, but not the lead necessarily, but he he would be the head, and that's where he's kind of in Midnight Run. I think he's the lawyer for the mobster, but that's perfect for him.
2: So, Bull, you saw this movie just for the first time recently, yeah. And so, at did, were you surprised by it? I mean, the, it had sort of a weird tonal shift in the middle, and
0: I could feel like, that coming. I could definitely feel that, but um, I, I went in not really knowing much. I mean, I knew it was Paul Thomas Anderson. I knew the actors who were going to be in it, but um, yeah, it, it has this weird '90s vibe to it, I, I guess. Where I'm trying to think, uh, Tony had mentioned Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, there were a couple other films uh, from the '90s. It, it just it, it feels it feels like that era right before digital cameras came out like, I'm very aware that this was done with some huge film camera, and so, so like, the whole time, you're like, holy crud, all of these tracking shots that are in here, this must have been so difficult, and this is where Paul Thomas Anderson's just trying to, like, ruin his whole budget, (laughs) trying to get these shots, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, this guy's really going for it, and I think that was what stood out the most that okay this guy has an eye for cinematography he's still trying to figure stuff out because there are some scenes in here where i'm going eh there's not a whole lot here cinematography the dialogue's a little stilted you, you can definitely tell that pt anderson's you know figuring it out as he's going along he, he's developing his voice mm-hmm. and you know two years later you get boogie nights and that is just such a fantastic film mm-hmm.
2: hmm It's like a rough Uh, draft, though, for the other movies that come up later. Yeah. Like, this is more of a rough draft, I think, for a movie like The Master than it is for Boogie Nights, because that's sort of an ensemble thing. Well,
0: well, and that's what's interesting, because he goes and he does... Yeah, Boogie Nights, which is ensemble, same thing with Magnolia, but then he starts getting into these character studies. Punch Drunk Love, Mm -hmm. There Will Be Blood... um,
2: Well, almost all of them have that sort of father figure element thing that the whole mentor mentee um uh relationship that we we we, we talked about it a little bit in the last movie the rocky three where uh you know mickey is a mentor for rocky and in this case you have a guy searching for a mentor or finding a mentor and um you know working out the whole father-son relationship that exists in a mentorship capacity mm-hmm. and then you find out the reasons for it as you as you watch the movie and the reasons why. Because like, at some point, he has to address it, like uh, the writing, they have to address this relationship. And Paul Thomas Anderson has uh, John's character, you know, say, why are you so interested in me, man? There's not, I'm not going to do anything for you, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to. there. And there is no answer to that question until, I mean, we find out the answer, but John never would find out the answer to that question. Or hopefully he doesn't why uh why sydney is so interested in him um but anyway so i'm not really sure how i got off on this tangent except i i do understand some of your your uh drawbacks on the film or your consideration of it might be different coming from someone who's already seen all those other movies of paul thomas anderson's
0: yeah and i guess just lately i've been watching a lot of films from first-time directors or you know second time and it's trying to figure out, okay, who is going to, you know, go and do great things? And, like, does the whole movie have to be a complete package for you to go, oh, well, you know, this person has greatness in them? Uh, I don't think so. I, I'd like to think that I would figure out that Paul Thomas Anderson's going to do something. You said you saw this in 2008 for the first time? I'm
2: thinking maybe even a little bit before that. But it was it, – I I think I, I saw it after Boogie Nights, but before – I ever saw Magnolia okay. or The Master or anything like that. So this is probably my second my second experience with Paul Thomas Anderson. I hadn't thought about him in auteur terms, you know. But then looking back and seeing, like, the overall collection of his films, he always seems to be grappling with this yeah. mentor-mentee relationship. You know, The Master knocked me off my feet. So yeah, seeing this in light of The Master makes me you know, see some of the things that he's working out or working through.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was late to the Anderson party. Cause I remember, I think probably in high school, I saw Magnolia and kind of liked it, but you know, more for the, uh, you know, Tom Cruise stuff and just kind of the, I've, I've always kind of been liked ensemble movies, but you know, I think only, it was only within the last year or so that I saw the master and the Fan of the thread because of uh, of bulls, uh, you know, recommendations on them. But it's kind of interesting to see that. Like, I remember Punk Drunk, Punk Drunk Love I didn't like because I'm I mean, not like Adam Sandler in Adam Sandler-type movies. I probably
2: um, did see *Punch Drunk Love before I saw – or around the time I saw Hard Eight. But that, I didn't think about him in the same right. terms in the same way I'm thinking of now.
3: So for, as this one being like the first full-length feature film he uh, Anderson did, you know, it's one of those – funny because it's a new time director he doesn't have a lot of say you know like you know they the studio changed the name of his you know of his movie from what he wanted it to be it's what you can tell it moves a lot faster than a lot of his movies and even that it's a slower slow paced movie but you watch like phantom thread or the master it's very kind of methodically paced and this one moves along like a pretty good clip compared to those
0: yeah you, you can definitely tell that he only had so much of a budget on this. Well, and I think I, that. And I, I feel like there was a longer story he wanted to tell. Right. But, oh, nope, we got to get in and out. I, I tried to find out how long it took them to shoot this film. Yeah. I feel like this was a really quick film. Right. Like, did it in maybe three weeks, yeah. Wh- which isn't a negative. Um,
3: no, and um, I think we went to like, I think Chauncey Riley was really good in this too. As uh, It's kind of fun to see him in a non comedic role. You know, we're, he's still like I said, he's still a nerd or a geek in this, but he's not the goofy like he is in *Talladega Nights* or *Holmes and Watson* or, or uh, was it *King Kong* when he's the survivor on the island.
2: Well, you mentioned uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in that yeah. in the role as the craps player, right? Which was he was funny on that. Well, it was a key centerpiece of the movie, and it, I mean, it helps you kind of consider some themes. But he was playing a role of a young man at the early stage of whatever his gambling career is a couple of years later, probably six or seven years later, maybe he was in a movie called uh, owning Mahoney where he plays a degenerate gambler as an elder, as an older man, like uh, someone in his maybe forties. So here, and it's only like five or six year, you know, difference in terms of uh, the, the, the actor age difference, but the, the difference in the ages of the two characters is so vast that it really points to a, uh, you know, the the what a, a incredible actor Philip Seymour Hoffman was. Um, yeah. If you if you haven't seen that, Owning Mahoney, you you gotta go check that out, man. Because have either of you seen it?
3: I have not. No. no. Okay. The, well. first, the first Hoffman we remember seeing was um, uh, Son of a Woman, where he plays the the other student who gets his dad to bail him out. Well, put it put owning Mahoney on the top of your
2: list, and think about it in terms of that gambler that uh, Sydney has to encounter at the uh, casino you know, yeah. on the craps table. And then you, you I, I don't know, it's an interesting arc if you could think of it, if you think of this like interconnected universe if it, if it exists. Uh, it's an interesting thing to consider because I love that movie, Owning Mahoney, and it it's bleak, man. It is dark and bleak and. Sad. Oh,
0: we don't do bleak and dark here on uh, Cinema Sit Down. <laughs> yeah. we, we only pick happy films.
3: Right. Even our comedy movies are dark, like King of Comedy or The Joker. Is is this the first
2: movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman is typecast as a character like Philip or not Philip Seymour Hoffman? Um, oh, the, the other guy, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Is this is this the uh the the birth of Samuel L. Jackson oh, like, as Samuel, Samuel L. L. Jackson? Yeah. Yeah. i don't know can you go back to like before 96 or whenever this came out yeah i think i think jules is
3: again he's given the credit of pulp fiction because he is the main person in that for so long but you're right this is the prototype for it
2: yeah this is stakes on a plane guy
3: yeah because even that when he's talking about the waitress and he can't use the language on here but he's talking about the waitress and phil baker hall because he's like the old school goes come on she can hear you don't talk that way he's like you kidding me Half these women are, you know, prostitutes. They like being talked to this way. Do you guys is, have
2: uh, Alexa?
3: No. Yes. I mean, I do have an Alexa, but I don't have
2: – I'm not in the room with one. Bull, you can get uh, Sam Sam Jackson's voice on Alexa. Uh,
0: yeah, but I have to stay married. I don't think my wife would enjoy that. <laughs> well, That's the situation. sad thing
2: is you have to ask <laughs> Sam – to a- or you have to ask Alexa to ask Sam to tell you a dirty joke or something uh, like
3: that my, my daughter's got the Echo Dot in her bedroom for her alarm clock well, so maybe I can set that up for Christmas yeah,
2: in the middle of the night or at some point you need to set it up so that Sam Jackson wakes her up
3: <laughs> Whoa, wake her up <laughs> yeah. I'll strike down upon me with great vengeance <laughs> <The furious anger. laughs> that's, that's great
0: I just got a new vehicle and you know the car talks to you, and I want to switch the voice to Samuel L. Jackson because yeah. oh, yeah. I, I really want to, you know, be told turn left right now, MFR.
3: <laughs> oh, or Philip but, Baker. All. These trucks, oh my!
0: Yeah, I, I don't like the voice of uh, the car right now. You can get the something. you
2: can get the Cookie Monster on ways. Uh, my uh,
0: <laughs>
3: a couple years ago, Kelly got me a Homer Simpson's voice for my GPS, and. uh, that's great. Except they really don't want to trust him. Like, you don't want to trust anything <laughs> his voice says. Yeah, you're gonna goes, going to be going to the wrong left. Left. <laughs> It's like, is this really, do you really want me to turn left?
2: <laughs> Does he put in his his uh, mentality and yeah. a mental ability along with the voice?
3: Turn left. Right here. <laughs> oh, um, no, no, go, back. Hey, All were right. you guys involved? Talking about cars, uh, did you guys see that big pileup down near you on 64? Yes. I heard about it. Yeah, saw it. it. I saw the video. 30-something car pileup.
0: Yeah, no, it was pretty bad. My mom called me in a panic that evening, and when I didn't pick up, she called my wife in a panic, oh. thinking that we had been in the accident. God, I, mean, I, I yeah. saw the accident. I think
3: I saw the I think I texted you about this weekend. Not no concern about. Like you wouldn't be able to <laughs> yeah. do
2: the podcast.
3: Your wellness. Like, are we still doing the show?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm good. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, the accent happened at like 7 in the morning, so there was no chance I was going to be out on the road. Not on Christmas break. Yeah, nah. <laughs> Um So, no, I, I like this pick, Lusk. I, I think this is a solid one, a, a true hidden gem.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. And so. uh, for people listening, it's on, you know, I, I tried to pick one that was, like, streaming. So, Rocky 3 was on Netflix. Hard 8 is on uh, Amazon
2: Prime, so. Yeah, you can watch it yeah. several times over the uh, course of the next year. Yeah. yeah. So, check it out. Nice. All who would right. have uh, thought nef- that Philip Baker Hall would outlive, um, Philip David, Seymour Hoffman? Seymour Hoffman, yeah.
3: Well, I like the idea of. Uh, I like the directors who use the same type of crew of people because Hoffman's in a bunch of his movies, as is Philip Baker Hall. Um, so he's he's got he's got a thing for like the three names and like the initial guys. Yeah, <laughs> John C. Riley, Samuel L. Jackson, Gwyneth, uh, Goop, yeah, Gooff. <laughs> oh, or you seen whatever any it is stuff like. You Is Samuel like
2: a, L. Jackson's middle name L?
3: I don't know. I don't know if it's like a like a Michael J. Fox where it doesn't stand for anything. I think there's a, you know, probably from like the 40s, there's a Sam Jackson in the Actors Guild.
2: I think Paul Thomas Anderson found out the hard way that he needed to start using his middle name. Yeah. Like he didn't want to have to use, he wanted to be Paul Anderson or whatever, but yeah. apparently there was some... Pop singer or something that uh, it was in the SAG or the Directors Guild or something. That, that of is of. funny. There, there's my obscure, semi-like uh, 75% accurate trivia fact for the day. Hmm. I like it. <laughs> all right, all right, gentlemen. Last words. Uh, no, but watch Heart Eight and Owning Mahoney together if you get a chance, and then think of that character. Fair enough. There be dragons. Memento Mori. Oh yeah, Pox at Bonum. That too. <laughs>
1: What did you think of today's show? Did the guys get it right? Or are you wondering what movie they watched? Send in your review by tweeting at CSD Podcast, emailing cinemasitdown at gmail.com, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash cinema sit Cinema Sit Down is a Flying Bull production.
0: All right. Uh, I say just keep it rolling. Okay. You want
1: to split it up? All right. You're going to split uh, it up later? That,
0: yeah, I'll split it up later. That way I just have to normalize sound one time. Okay. So.
3: But we still go back and clear out like all the hiccups and stuff?
0: Yeah. Okay. But that way if we just all have one audio track, yeah, it, it'll just all make it simpler. Too. Yeah. Yep. Hard Cool beans. All right.